Yes. But only to the degree that the Bible could be wrong. Because I'm merely saying what the Bible says. So I could be wrong about everything I believe. And so could you. If the Bible is wrong about anything that it says. But the Bible is not wrong on anything it says. Every word has been tested. Jesus will say in John 17, 17, Father, sanctify them in truth. Thy word is truth. So we're going to put up some doctrinal statements. You've been coming here for maybe a long time and you've never seen me use this screen. Okay, this is, this is history making today. These are some doctrinal statements that I want you to see a couple of common denominators here. First, Bernie Bible Church. That's us, in case you were wondering. What I want you to see here is what I've underlined without error in the original writings. Okay, next doctrinal statement. Dallas Theological Seminary. Okay, we believe that the whole Bible in the originals is therefore without error. Okay, next doctrinal statement, Columbia International University. In its original writing was verbally inspired and without error. Okay, next doctrinal statement, Trinity Evangelical Divinity School. This is the seminary for the Evangelical Free Church of America of which Bernie Bible Church is part. Okay, and it says... The Bible is without error in the original writings. Now, we're just going to stop with that for a second. These are three seminaries and Bernie Bible Church. Okay? None of them are using the word inerrant. Because we all understand there's no, it's not expedient to. Because there are those people out there who will say, that word is not in the Bible. Okay. The word Trinity is not in the Bible. In case you didn't know it, the word Bible is not in the Bible. Okay? It, it isn't. The word Bible is not in the Bible. Okay? It just blows my mind that we make such a big deal about words that are not in the Bible. Okay? It's crazy. So, but just to, to acquiesce to that lame thing, argument, in, the word inerrant is not in the Bible, none of these doctrinal statements use the word inerrant. But they're still getting the point across. There are no errors in the original manuscripts. Now, again, God didn't write the copies. God wrote, through men, the originals. But if God, who can only speak truth, wrote the truth, it just makes sense that God, superintended, has overseen the copying process as well. And we have every reason to have absolute authority in the copies that we hold. Okay? And I'll talk more about that on another Sunday. But, this, but just again, to be very precise, and we need to be precise with theology. The originals were completely free of all error. That means every time a name was given, it was the right name. Every time a city was mentioned, it was the right city. Every time a coinage was used, it was the right coinage. Every time a weight was used, it was the right weight. And everything, absolutely true. 
Because God is true. Now, is the Trinity one still up there? Good. One thing subtly changed here, and it concerns me. Trinity is one of the best seminaries in the country. Contrary to Bernie Bible Church, contrary to Dallas Theological Seminary, contrary to to Columbia International University and Seminary, did you see the subtle change? You probably didn't pick up on it. Article what? Two. In every other one, the very first article in the Statement of Faith is their article concerning Scripture. Because they are acknowledging what we believe about Scripture is the foundation for everything else we believe. It's that important. In a good doctrinal statement, you need to check this out. A good doctrinal statement will always put its doctrine of Scripture first. Because everything that we believe depends upon what Scripture says. It is the only trustworthy revelation that we have. You can't start anywhere else. You have to start with Scripture. Now go to the next one. This is Fuller Seminary. Okay? And this comes down to number three. Can't see it. It's being cut off. But this is actually their third statement. Third, third point down. Trinity, number two. Fuller, number three. Third statement before they mention anything about Scripture. And then what Trinity says is, Scripture is an essential part and trustworthy record of this divine self-disclosure. Because they've just been previously talking about general revelation, creation, that kind of thing. And they say Scripture is also a kind of revelation. And then it says, all the books of the Old and New Testaments, given by divine inspiration. Does that mean not all the books of the Old and New Testament are given by divine inspiration, or only some of the books are given by divine inspiration? You see, you don't really know. Now, that's my lawyer mind coming out. But the way those commas are placed, it leaves you not knowing if all Scripture is inspired by God. Maybe only some of it is inspired by God. And then it says... Are, are the written word of God the only infallible rule of faith and practice? Where's the word without error? It's not there. Evangelical seminary. I believe it may still be, maybe no longer, but it used to be the biggest seminary in the United States. And back in the 1970s, they dropped out the word error, without error. They abandoned the doctrine of inerrancy. And they were one of the schools, the main school, that Harold Lenzel went after in his two books. Didn't make him happy. And as a consequence of what Fuller did when it abandoned the doctrine of inerrancy, many of the, of the, of the biggest named theologians in the United States and Canada convened in Chicago and formulated a statement called the Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy. You should look it up sometime. The Chicago Statement on Biblical Inerrancy. It was, it was made in like 1978 or 79, something like that. It is wonderful. Okay? And, and so we just list out all these different points, articles, on what evangelicals believe concerning inerrancy and the scriptures. Very clear, very precise. So maybe Fuller, this is just an old doctrinal statement and and we shouldn't be too hard on them. They really weren't meaning anything by leaving out the statement without error. Okay? 
Not so fast. There was, this is what Daniel Fuller, former president of Fuller Seminary, said about Benjamin Warfield, who is the leading authority in the evangelical world to this day on the Bible's inspiration and inerrancy. Princeton theologian um, from the early 1900s. And so Daniel Fuller rightly said, Warfield believed that inerrancy extended to all that Scripture taught, that all Scripture was revelational, and that no grounds existed for limiting its accuracy. Some matters, to be sure, are salvation-focused in the Bible. But Warfield believed that everything that the Bible speaks to came from God, whether it was a number or whether it was a point of theology. And so, but Fuller argued <coughs> that the doctrinal verses teaching inspiration do not require that broad of a view. But he taught that inerrancy only pertained to revelational matters, and not all the Bible is revelational. And so that means revelational matters, and he said, Daniel Fuller, those matters that are revelational matters lie beyond empirical investigation. In other words, you can't test them. So when God says, by revelation, I think this would be a fair example, that God is holy and righteous and true. There is no way to test that. But it's true because it's revelational. But if God said, Moses opened up the Red Sea and walked across on dry ground, well, that wouldn't be in the revelational category. And so the point here of what is revelational can't be tested. But what can be tested might be wrong. So as this writer says, here's the difficulty. The claim that Scripture does not err in those places where it may not even be tested is meaningless if it does err in those places where it can be tested. And remember the author of Proverbs. Every word has been tested. Fuller says, not so fast. Not every word can be tested. Okay? The extent to which the verifiable portions of Scripture are fallacious is the degree to which the whole of Scripture is discredited. The factual assertions of Scripture are bound up with the theological affirmations. The theological truth is discredited to the extent that the factual material is erroneous. They knew what they were doing when they took that word out of their doctrinal statement. They can say infallible because that speaks to the character of Scripture. But they're not going to say inerrant because that speaks to the details of Scripture. And they aren't prepared to acknowledge that. And so then, where does it end? Fuller's point that the Bible does not claim for itself complete inerrancy is false, as this writer says. All Scripture is divine in origin and truthful in all its cognitive assertions. Evangelicals confess inerrancy because it is biblical to do so. The critic who pontificates errors in Scripture, which we regard simply as difficulties, 
has usurped for himself the infallibility which he has denied the Bible. So when the Bible says it's without error, and Fuller says it has errors, who's infallible? The Bible or Fuller? It's pretty amazing stuff. Now, I also looked up Southern Seminary's um, statement of faith. I didn't, um, don't think I have this on there. And I didn't want to get into all of theirs. Um, it's, it's good. It's not all that great. Because the Baptist Church, back in the 70s, their seminaries, at, at especially Southwestern Seminary in Fort Worth, had just gone bonkers in abandoning the authority of Scripture. They had been pulled way back to a conservative position, thank the Lord. But their, their statement is still not wonderful. But they acknowledge, and I, and I found a statement by the, by the current president of Southern Seminary, um, Albert Muller, who was writing about the revisions that took place in the year 2000 from the old doctrinal statement that was produced in 1963. And he noted that in the old doctrinal statement, they said that, that the Bible is a record of the revelation of God. And I made a point about this last Sunday. And, he, and they noted, when you say the Bible is a record of revelation, you are saying less than that it is the revelation of God. See, the Bible is not a record of revelation. It is the revelation of God. So Moeller rightly had influence on, that, on, the ref, on, the, on the reshaping of their doctrinal statement for the Southern Baptist. And he said the 1963 version stated that the Bible is, a, is the record of God's revelation of himself to man. We remove the word record in order to remove confusion about the nature of God's revelation in the Bible. The Bible is not merely a record of revelation. It is revelation itself. Good for you. But again, the people who formulate these doctrinal statements have spent a lot of time on it. Every word is there for a reason. And we need to be careful about these things. If, if the scripture cannot be trusted in everything that it says, then how can we trust it in anything that it says? It comes down to that. Now, there's a syllogism that I first saw with Norman Geiser, and it's really pretty simple. I'm no big logic guy, um, but I appreciate it, and, and I can understand this. If the, if the two premises are true, then the conclusion has to be true. The first premise, God cannot err, and we know that is true. If God can err, then he isn't God. Right? I err, you err, we aren't God. Okay? If God cannot make a mistake. So the scripture says it is impossible for God to lie. God cannot lie. He cannot be wrong. So this is difficult if you're a millennial. This is very hard for you to get your minds around. I understand. So bear with me with, with this. And I actually had this conversation a couple years ago with our students at His Hill. It became very Emotional. Um, we worked through that. I'm glad. I was, I was being too convicting or whatever. 
But I made the statement that, that there are things that is impossible for God to do. Now, a couple of students, they knew their Bibles well enough to know that there are some statements where it says nothing is impossible for God. And now the teacher is standing in front of them saying some things are impossible for God. So I'm sounding like a heretic. And so I appreciated the response and the interaction. Okay, it's good. Now, when God says nothing is impossible for him, he means nothing within the limits of his character. Because God is limited by his own character. He cannot act contrary to who he is. And so the same scripture that says nothing is impossible for God also says it's impossible for God to lie. So are both statements true? Yes. Nothing's impossible for him within the limits of his character. But it is true that he can't change his character. God cannot change. He is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. He cannot change. And that's why we can know him and be sure of what he says, because it's never going to change. And so we can come to God in all humility, with simplicity, and absolute confidence, because God cannot change. God cannot lie. So I maybe went too far with this, but I asked the students, can God make a four-sided triangle? And some said yes. And I said, can God make a square circle? And some said yes. And I go, you're not understanding. If a triangle has four sides, it's no longer a triangle. If a square is a circle, it's no longer a square and vice versa. So no, not even God can make a four-sided triangle. It's no longer a triangle. You see, God has to act within the confines of truth. What is true? And we can take it to the bank because this truth is never going to change. It is certain as God is. So, God cannot err. And the Bible is the Word of God. How many times has the Old Testament claimed to be the Word of God? 3,808 times. The Bible is the Word of God. And God cannot err. So the only conclusion that you can come to is the Bible is without error. That's not rocket science. I'm so glad because I couldn't get it otherwise. I am agger, more stupid than any man, okay? But I can understand that. These are affirmations of Scripture that we know are true of God and His Word. God cannot err. The Bible is the Word of God. Therefore, it is without error. Very simple. And praise God. We can rest. We don't walk around smug and arrogant because there is nothing we know except what God has revealed, what God has said. But what He has said, we can rest on it. This is why Christians are people of peace and people of rest. Why God beckons us to be at peace and to be at rest, not because of circumstances, but because of what we know to be true about him and his word. Jesus said, let not your hearts be troubled. Believe in me and believe in God. We can believe in his word. This is the revelation of God. In the peace and rest that is our birthright, because 
we can be so supremely confident in Scripture. Thank you, Lord. I'll close this in prayer. We do thank you, Father, for all that you have given us. A word from you that has been tested. Will not fail. Never be proved to be wrong. Both the character and the content from you. And I thank you, God, for the assurance this gives us in a troubled world where there are so many lies all around us, even from people who mean well. We thank you, O Father, that we can be at peace and be untroubled because of the truth of what you have told us in your word. In Jesus' name.